This is a Federal News Network podcast. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer is impatient. He wants the House to work out differences with the Senate on the fiscal 22 regular spending so the government can get past the continuing resolution. For more, Bloomberg Government Deputy News Director Lauren Duggan. And this is about one solid thing you can sink your teeth into these days, given everything else going on. But what is the status and what did Steny Hoyer specifically call for? He would like the House and Senate appropriators to get moving on the appropriations bills, basically. What we've seen is proposals come out of both committees. Um, The House appropriators approved all 12 bills and passed nine of them. The Senate appropriators formally marked up three and then released the nine others. So we have a lot of text here on the regular spending bills, but there's still no consensus on how much to spend in total. And then in each of these 12 bills, kind of getting to the nitty gritty, how much do you give different agencies and what riders do you contain? So he wants them to get to the table. Now, Rosa DeLauro, who's the chairwoman in the House, has said she doesn't know that they could meet that sort of deadline, but that she and her subcommittee chairs will keep chipping away at this. Um, Republicans on their part have told us that uh, they aren't sure that they can wrap all this up by December 3rd, which is when the stopgap funding bill runs out, the current continuing resolution. So maybe we'll be looking at another one of those in December. But um, December 3rd is shaping up to be a pretty busy day in Congress, or at least a pretty big deadline that will force action on a lot of things, including this government funding stuff. So um, a a lot to happen there. And those are just the routine spending bills, not to mention these other massive packages that may be moving in the coming weeks. Right. And on the regular appropriations, the differences are they do have real differences, don't they? They do have real differences. And I would say that there's not an agreement on the defense side of the ledger, but there's a consensus that's emerged through the separate defense authorization process where all sides seem to be comfortable with $25 billion more than requested. So really, the, the discrepancy is going to be more on the non-defense side. And how do you, you know, reconcile that? It's important to remember that Republicans have leverage here in the Senate because it will take 60 votes to cut off debate on any package and let that move forward. So really, Richard Shelby, who's the ranking member on the Senate Appropriations Committee, a senator from Alabama, he's going to have a lot to say in how the overall number looks and what these individual bills look like. Um, and one thing to also remember is his earmarks are back this time around. Um, our Jack Fitzpatrick wrote a story last week looking at um, the earmarks that are in here, and Richard Shelby is actually one of the big recipients of earmarks in that. So you could see that helping them get to an agreement. Um, that old thing of having skin in the game really does help sometimes. So um, we'll see a lot of discussion on top lines, or maybe we won't see it, but we'll hear about it happening in back rooms. Um, but that's going to be a big thing happening behind the scenes as they try to figure out a path forward. Yeah, so those crunchy bags of pork skins have now transmogrified into nice fat pork that's fleshy that they can pass around in Congress. <laughs> Indeed. If you like that analogy, if you, if you eat pork rinds. All right. And there's, again, on the uh, small change front, if you will, Everything's relative. The highway funding extension package. Well, there was an extension that the House and Senate cleared for President Biden last week to keep these programs that are funded through the Highway Trust Fund open. Um, There was a brief lapse of that earlier in October because this happened separate from the spending package. This is an authorization. Um, The infrastructure bill that has been stalled for a couple of months now would reauthorize those programs for five years. This extension takes those programs to December 3rd, which gives them more time to figure out what they're doing on the infrastructure and reconciliation packages, but keeps those agencies that need that authorization place open. So unlike in October when there was 3,700 employees who were furloughed. This should keep things running, allow money to flow to the states and keep those going. Now, 
it's worth noting transportation stakeholders don't like short-term extensions any more than federal agencies like CRs, but they would really like to see some action on a long-term fix here, um, which we may see in the month of November. I guess from the industry standpoint, they don't want to start a bridge or a road only to have it funding run out in a couple of months or something like that. Right. And the whole way these projects work are years out in advance, which is one reason you have these five-year packages so that state DOTs know how much they're going to have into the future so they can plan for those major projects. And the bill this was tied to was the trillion-dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill, not the big social infrastructure bill. That's correct. That's the infrastructure bill that the Senate passed in August is sitting in the House. They were going to vote on that in September. That was pulled. Um, There was some talk about doing that last week. Uh, We'll see if they're going to be ready to vote on that in tandem with the the larger social spending climate change tax package that's also still being written and finalized. We're speaking with Lauren Duggan. He is the deputy news director at Bloomberg Government. And yeah, so that package everyone thought would happen by Friday and then no. And there's already statements coming from different trade groups on the failure of the votes to tie those two packages together and get over the line. So is that going to still dominate this week? I think this bill, until it's potentially passed and signed into law, will dominate most of the discussion just because there's so much in it. There's so much at stake here, both politically and policy-wise for the Biden administration and for Democrats in Congress. This has a lot of their priorities that they've wanted to push through. Um, They've had to give some up along the way, obviously, things like paid leave that were in the package than out of the package. Um, There still could be more stuff coming into the package as it develops, as the legislating happens. But um, what the president rolled out before he flew to Europe was a $1.75 trillion spending package offset by about $2 trillion in different tax changes and some mandatory spending changes. So um, the details there will continue to be poured over by people on Capitol Hill and off of it because this has um, you know stakes for a number of industries and not just you know money that would flow to families, but changes in how businesses operate. So there, there's a lot in this bill. Um, so it's obviously going to take out a lot of the oxygen on Capitol Hill. And so far as we know, the president was not able to obtain a papal bull, say, telling Congress to go ahead and get this package done. I don't believe so. He may have had a private audience, but I don't think that will uh, redound on anything on the Hill. All right. And getting back to more mundane matters, there are lots of nominations in the second tier below cabinet level that are kind of washing through the Senate now. That's right. The committees have been very busy on these the last few weeks, churning them out, holding the hearings, and then the markups to advance them to the floor. We have, I think, as many as seven different nominations teed up for this week, including a couple tonight, and then throughout the rest of the week for the Treasury Department, USAID, and um, the top policy official at the Labor Department. So um, some of these came out on a bipartisan basis, and they may get bipartisan support on the floor. It's important to remember that unlike needing six 60 votes for legislation. You only need 50 votes to cut off debate in the Senate as long as the vice president's available to break any ties. Um, so these are likely to keep pushing through. So it's it's something to put on the floor when you're waiting for the next big thing, as Chuck Schumer is. But it also, you know, they need to churn through these to continue filling out the government and the judicial benches as well, because that's also a big part of this. Well, we're looking for the Merit Systems Protection Board nominees that have cleared committee, but that still needs to be voted on of arcane interest or parochial interest to federal employees, but it's really a big deal. And then there's two new nominations to the Federal Communications Commission, one of whom is already there, Jessica Rosenworcel, so that those are fresh nominations, so those will be probably a few weeks off. 
a few weeks off. I mean, it takes time to turn through these. And then they're also working behind the scenes again on packages of these. So there are the, you know, these big floor votes that happen, but then there are other ones that happen by voice vote, including nominations last week for a couple of former senators and widows of former senators who um, went through on voice votes. So there wasn't the big debate and the cloture vote and the confirmation. So these happen in different ways. And as the end of the year gets closer, you may see more willing and dealing to get these packages through even without votes. All right. Anything else we need to know about the Hill this week? I just think it's going to be a bumpy ride as they figure out this bill. But, um, you know, there will be some votes in committee and on the floor, but lots to watch for sure. And you can go watch the foliage, I guess, if you get tired of it all. It's finally arriving in our region. Lauren Duggan is Deputy News Director at Bloomberg Government. As always, thanks so much. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your show. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.